All righty. Well, welcome to the Comics Corner. Uh, this is John. Um, I am here with our special guest, Matthew Klein. Um, Matthew, say hello. hello. I always, always thrilled to be back on John's Comic Corner. Don't ever let anyone say it's just the Comics Corner. It's John's Comics Corner. Oh, yes. And our extra special guest star coming back to us for the our first three-time guest. This is so exciting. Mr. Drew. Drew, say hello. Hi, everybody. I thought you were going to say that I'm the non-special guest. No, you're the extra special guest. I see Matthew every day at work. I don't get to see you. I'm so, retconning you. Andrea has been on three times. Oh, shoot. That's right. Sorry. Well, yes. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say that first one, but she's, then I realized. Well, so she's technically been four, four times, but since one was lost to the archives, uh, she's been on three. That is true. That is true. Ooh, true. Corrected by Josh Wilson, has he now? Look at <laughs> that. that. Hello and farewell, listeners. Yes. Okay. So the reason that Josh is not joining us is um, this is a special episode. Um, it is going to be released in time for the WandaVision finale, um, which I have been anxiously awaiting and I'm feeling a lot of agita about. So just to preface this, you may have mild spoilers for episodes one through seven. We are going to try to stay away from it because we are focusing on comics that star Wanda and or the Vision. So um, be forewarned. And or the purported villain of the whole season. Well, I, can I just say how many times I've been singing that damn song? Every morning, so every evening. So my brain, right before this started, of course, because I'm thinking about it, it goes into Agatha all along. And then for some reason, if my brain transitioned it into Jingle Bell Rock, and I hate Christmas music. So I really have deep hatred for that character right now. I can't wait for her to get her comeuppance. Yeah, but I bet your, I bet your dance is exactly the same to both, Corn. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. I do a Kazachka, and it's fabulous. So... Okay. For those who don't know, that's a traditional Jewish wedding dance. But there you go. Cheers and everything. Um, so cheers and cheers. Cheers and cheers. So we looked at three. Now, the history of Wanda, the history of Vision, is very, very long. We very probably convoluted. and very convoluted. We could not cover it um, and talk about comics. And since it's the, this is the comics corner, we're going to go right in. Let us go in chronological order. Um, so um, each of us brought a book in to read. Um, mine was uh, Avengers Volume 3, Numbers 1 through 11, which is by Kurt Busick with art by George Perez. Um, I should also preface this by saying Wanda's been my favorite Avenger since about 1984, 1985. So do you have a, you have a Wanda costume? I'm just curious. Like, have you ever I, cosplayed well, or, or gone out as Wanda? I did cosplay as um, the Age of Ultron movie Wanda um, for New York Comic Con um, because the costume was really cheap because all I did was just wear a red hoodie and black shorts. I did get the stockings. Um, didn't rip them, though, because I hate ripping stockings. It's very difficult to make it artful. Um, so, yes, I have cosplayed Wanda. Um, which I have not even done for Wonder Woman yet. 
So that's wow. Wow. I know. Yeah, that's... but to be fair, you've met a bunch of like Wonder Woman creators. So it's not like you haven't repped her, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so this was my contribution. Chronologically, it does come first. Um, and then after that, we'll be talking about House of M, which was Matthew's <laughs> contribution to uh, Wanda's story. And then we will be talking about Vision, which was Drew's comp- uh, Drew's addition to the Wanda and Vision storyline. But since this starts with both of them, let's have at it, shall we? So this is from when? This was 1998? This was... This, this was 1998, just after Heroes Reborn. Yeah, set the scene um, for us, John. Set the scene. Yeah, okay. So uh, the Avengers had just come back after... The Avengers and the Fantastic Four had just come back after being away um, in another dimension that was made by Franklin Richards. Um, this was the relaunch of the series. Um, it was a very, very, very big deal. Um, and uh, yeah, you kind of get to see a little bit of everybody. My, one of my favorite things about it, and one of the reasons that I kind of wanted to talk about it is um, there is a modern feel to it, but it also pays a lot of homage to um, to Silver Age comics, to the traditions of the Avengers. Um, Kurt Busiek is a writer who was actually, the first thing that he ever wrote was a, an Avengers, a letter to the Avengers that was published on their letters page when he was 14, I think, or something like that. Wow. Um, and he started writing very young. He's an encyclopedia of knowledge um, about comics in general. Um, He's he a great have- Twitter follow. He's a great Twitter follow. If, you, if you're out there and looking for an encyclopedia, he, he is tweeting about it every time. Did you know on this day, very cool factoids of old comics and, and creators and the history of comics. He is a historian for sure. Yes. Um, and I, there, was a, um, there was a magazine called Wizard, which was all about comics. And they put in the hardest comic quiz ever. And I think... Kurt Busiek and Mark Wade were the only ones to score a hundred. Um, this does not surprise me. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Should and everybody else. I didn't, but that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Let's, let's stick to Wanda and Vision. So now neither of you guys had read this before. I don't believe, am I correct in that? No, no. No, I still haven't read it. Oh, Drew. Still haven't read it. You're killing me. See, right. I had read I had read Avengers Forever by by Busiek, um, which was I think a couple years after this one, but I had never read this particular. What's fascinating is like I recognized a lot of the panels, you know, because I I like to I, I Wikipedia comic stuff all the time. I like learning, so I had never actually gotten to read this thing all the way through, but I ended up recognizing a bunch of different moments um, and certain panels in there, and George Perez's art is amazing beautiful yeah it's absolutely amazing yeah and i think there are a lot of people who would look at this book and say i need to know too much in order to do this it actually surprisingly compared to sort of the modern comics of we'll get to that on house of m the differentiation on that yeah compared to the modern comics of 2021 i think a lot of people will look at the word balloons and the the captions and just think, oh, this is overwritten. It's actually not. It's a very fun read. But Matthew, what did you think? 
So I'm a little torn on this. Um, love the artwork. And I think that it's, it's a challenge because this is a, one, it's a relaunch. And two, it, what's fascinating to me about it is that you begin with 39 different Avengers. Mm-hmm. Like there are 39 characters in that mansion who come to pass. So it is a lot of characters that you have to try and keep track of for the first couple issues. And then the thrust of it becomes about who is an Avenger and what's going to happen and how do you make the team, right? So at, for, at the first part, I was a little overwhelmed. I'm not going to lie because there were so many characters to keep track of and I didn't recognize half of them. And then came the debut of Triathlon and my heart overjoyed because um, I've heard about that character for years, but I never actually read it. Um, so it was, again, this is where like Perez with his history with books like Teen Titans and, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths from the 80s is so skilled at handling that many characters that was actually much easier to follow than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But I, I was struck how much it felt like a, a Silver Age book like from the amount of word balloons and the type of exposition in there and and everything it it definitely felt like a throwback and i was curious how intentional that was compared to um he was he was very intentional when he did it he is one of those people he's like what i love about he said in an interview what he loves about the avengers is they're having all this personal and inter-team drama at the same time as they're saving the universe. And that's really what makes kind of a Marvel book, a Marvel book. Um, and he, when he did Avengers JLA, um, which was the last crossover between Marvel and DC, he actually was talking about the difference in how Marvel characters handle a threat and how DC characters handle a threat. Um, you know, Marvel just like, is sure. like, just keep punching them until they fall. And DC is like, all right, hold on a second. Let's stop and think this out and then go from <laughs> there. But the thing that's interesting, Matthew, and, and let me know if this was your experience with it, because I had not read Avengers for years prior, prior to this. Um, but it, as overwhelming as the amount of characters were, he really does pick a few people and have it focus on them. So it's not as if everybody's trying to buy for screen time, so to speak. No, the only time where they're really trying to buy for screen time, like they, there are moments where that happens, but they are fewer and further between than I expected. And I mean, Scarlet Witch is is clearly a very major character in this story. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here talking about it. But but it's very clear that Busiek has a lot of appreciation for Wanda um and and for her history and and kind of the and for vision and for that matter too and really plays up this love triangle that i would be fascinated if there's any kind of actual bringing into the mcu at any point i don't know that there could be or would be but um but you know the idea of wonder man and yeah well let's let's hold off let's let's hold off on that for one second Oh, um, oh, he wants to, he's, I'm but, sorry, I'm going, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. No, that's okay. Because I, I want to, the reason that I want to do that is I want to focus on the first four issues for a minute. Oh, okay. Um, so stick because with the first four. he, Wanda is actually one of both Kurt Busiek's and George Perez's favorite characters. George Perez has oh. said he loves drawing Wanda. Um, but what's interesting to me is there's that scene in the second ex- issue where she's captured 
and Mm -hmm. she's, you know, chained to the wall kind of thing. And in four captions, he pretty much goes over her entire history. Yes. And he sort of has it all encapsulated, including the fact that she knew about her children and that she knew her children had disappeared. That will come back to haunt us later on in another book. So we'll get to that in a second. But remember that I said that. Um, But the reason, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this, in addition to the love triangle, um, is I wanted to talk kind of about those, those, those first four issues. Because the thing that's interesting is Wanda in that third issue kind of hesitates for a moment until she sees the vision blown up. And yeah. it's that that really kind of Oh, you can you can absolutely see up. the you can definitely see the evolution of her coming into her own power, which is a very which is a through line throughout the story is kind of Wanda's evolving into uh, a character who understands who she is, the nature of her powers, the fact that she has way more to, to give than she originally thought. Um, and it really, in, in many ways, it feels a way of establishing the character to be more of a presence throughout the rest of the run, I imagine, than had been previously thought, you know, and, and it's, it's a, it's a very interesting, it feels like a very crucial moment in terms of the evolution of, of Wanda in the history of her publishing. Yeah, and there's, that kind of leads directly into that scene in issue four. And I know I'm skipping around, but we have a lot of books to cover. We do, um, yes. But that leads to that scene in issue four that's between the two of them, which I find fascinating, where as Vision's body is being repaired, he projects that hologram and the two of them are mm-hmm. talking and she says, this is, we're not going to keep doing this. You're ready when I'm not, I'm ready when you, you're mm-hmm. not, this isn't going to happen anymore. And clearly he's upset by that, but it's fascinating that um, it's not just the female character pining for the male character as no, so often no. still happens. Well, and, and even, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing throughout this first, you know, we, we read, you know, about 12 issues for this. So we read a chunk. But you also see similar handlings of like Carol Danvers. You see a similar handling of, of this kind of like a female character that's allowed to be strong, but imperfect, you yes. know, and is not, but is very independent and very headstrong as the old expression would be. And just very certain of what their opinions are of themselves and of others and very clear about what they want and what they don't want. And, you know, for both of those characters in here, I thought there were some very cool, very strong moments of watching characters who have a history in publishing up to this point of being utilized as plot devices for whatever's needed, especially in the service of of other male and more well-known characters, really kind of staking a claim and creating their own status quo. And Agatha becomes a major component of allowing Wanda you know, to facilitate doing that too later on. Yes, and if you keep reading the series, the reason that I wanted to stop at issue 11 is he, Kurt, he meaning Kurt Busiek, the writer, seeds a lot of stuff because there's a very interesting um, sort of conversation that Wanda has with herself where she says, you know, I've always been connected to the Avengers by other people. 
by mm. Vision, by my brother Quicksilver, by my friendships with Jan, by my friendships with Hawkeye. And you see later on a few issues after where we stopped reading how that kind of comes into her own. But yes, let's talk about Agatha for a minute, shall we? Um, so Agatha, I- this is, this is where Josh needs to play the theme song. Just I know. sample well, it and just like, you know, yeah. it's 30 on Spotify seconds now. doesn't get us in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I am fascinated by Agatha Harkness. I've always wondered why there's not Agatha Harkness cosplayers. There's going to be now. There um, will be, yes. There will be But now. they're going to be Catherine Hahn cosplayers, not yes. Agatha cosplayers. But what I, I love about Agatha, so we're going to just fall back in history for a second. Steve Englehart, back in the 70s, brought Agatha Harkness into the Avengers because they're at a, that point, and this is, Wanda was introduced in 1964. This is probably 1972, 73, I think, somewhere in there. Um, Steve Englehart brought Agnes, Agatha, excuse me, in to teach Wanda true magic because up until that point, Wanda was literally only allowed during a battle to cast three hexes. After that, her energy was depleted and she just like panicked or fell down or fainted. Mm. And Engelhart brought Agatha in so he could power Wanda up because he wanted to do it. Hmm. And there's literally in the first issue of Agatha teaching Wanda, it literally, there's a caption that's like her unprecedented fourth hex because she'd never done it before. She just couldn't do it. She was too, too, too weak, too weak. Not enough energy in her. So yeah, so he brings in Agatha essentially to kind of rewrite in a bit some of her powers to make her, to link the mutant part of her power because at that time Wanda was a mutant. She's not any longer. We'll get into that possibly. But to link her more, um, interestingly with magic, which to me actually makes her powers more interesting because now you have these two sort of, you have science and magic to kind of pull in um, to balance off visions sort of, you know, Wanda's now using chaos magic and all of that. And vision is a, a synthesoid and he's all order. So I really find that fascinating. No, I think there's a lot of the the dichotomy there to to do that with, and that's that's so interesting. The you know, it sounds like Agatha is very much meant to be a sort of Mr. Miyagi sort of style, like okay, and now wax on, wax off, and look how powerful you are. Mm -hmm. um, and in this series, she's very much used as a way of sort of dismissing any preconceived notions about Wanda's powers and and what Wanda's even allowed to conceive. And yeah, it's a growth moment. For sure. Yeah. So that's, and that is fascinating. Now, Agatha started with Fantastic Four, too, right? <clears throat> yes. Agatha was Franklin Richards' um, nanny, which, just so we're I'm sorry. Clear, what? Yes. Agatha was Franklin Richards' nanny. And literally, the Fantastic Four just kind of dropped him off with her. And we're like, all right, we'll catch up with you when we can. What bye. Girl, bye. At that, what time, when, at that time when she was this this fantastic nanny, was she already known to be a witch? Is that why she was the nanny? She was just known as a wonderful nanny. And long story short, 
they go out to visit her and the Frightful Four trap all the Fantastic Four so that they can kill them. And then Agatha essentially takes them out in about two pages. She takes out these four major bad guys in about two pages. And the Fantastic Four like run to her rescue once they get freed of the traps. And they're like, are you all right, Miss Harkness? And she's like, keep your voice down. You're gonna wake up the baby, Um, which is pretty fun. Yeah. So what Um, you're saying is that there is an Adventures in Babysitting according to Agatha Harkness series out there that we need to see. I believe me, if I could get it done, I would be, I would love to do it. Um, However, things happen. Um, So I wanna uh, touch on this because we have to leave this in a couple minutes to get back to, uh, to get back to our our second, to get to our second series. Um, But Matthew, what did you think overall let's start with your overall do you regret reading the book did I steer you wrong uh do I regret reading the book no would I read the book again no um would I look at the book again yes Mm -hmm. that makes sense and I think I think some of that has to do with our ages are very separate and I think we grew up in Two different Very era. different, yeah. I mean, it's it's a different era of storytelling and it's a different kind of approach to the medium. And that's more than anything else, that has nothing to do, that has everything to do with personal taste and personal reading comfort versus, you know, the quality of the storytelling or what have you. And, and it's, you know, it's very much of its time. Can I touch on one thing though in this book? Yes, please. I did not remember or realize truly the extent of which the concept of the Avengers was run like a branding corporation. Mm -hmm. Like it's incredible watching them going through, like trying to figure out who's going to be on their roster and how they're, you know, dealing with the UN and everything, just how corporate it feels and how very publicity minded they are in a lot of ways, which is a very fascinating thing that I, did not realize, quite frankly. You may actually be interested in going a little further in the run because when the roster changes over, Mm -hmm. there's actually an entire issue that's about that, that's about who should stay, who should go, bringing Uh in minority heroes um, versus having mutants on the team. It's a really fascinating... um, That was one of the things that that stuck out to me the most. That that I would be very intrigued to go more in depth into for sure. Yeah, I, I think you would enjoy that. I, I think I think you would probably enjoy that. But again, the reason that I wanted to do this is because this one um, brings in the idea of a um, of a love triangle with Wanda, Vision, and Wonder Man, which is made even more interesting when you realize that Vision's original thought patterns, the thought patterns that Wanda fell in love with were Wonder Man's thought patterns that were stolen from him and put into vision by Ultron. Indeed. So, yeah. It's so, a very messed up sort of love triangle. It classic is a very messed up. I'm classic, sorry, yes. Classic, classic love triangle. Classic love triangle, yes. Um, however, now we see why there was a whole lot of deviation in um, the. Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
Um, and we'll get back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe later on. Um, but I want to say thank you for reading that. I know that it, I knew that it wasn't your taste. I thought you might like it a little bit better, but I think you might find this sort of the way that he lays out storylines really, really interesting. Um, and especially as he gets further, because you see things that are in those first three, four issues that don't come back for another year to sure, be resolved. Sure, they pay off later. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, Busiak understands he's in a long form. He's trying to tell a two or three year story arc for sure. Yes. And he was on it for 50 some odd issues. Yeah. Um, but I do love the fact that um, he does kind of acknowledge every, all of the history of these characters. He embraces the history of these characters, takes what he can use from it without sort of denigrating anything and really does sort of have these two characters who really loved each other and who worked together and who went through all of this kind of crap together and then said, okay, let's see what else we can do with them. Um, so, which brings us to Matthew's choice, House of M. John's favorite comic of all time. Okay, so Which here's is exactly the thing. why I picked it. I am gonna try, I am I am going to be respectful. I'm going to really merely go through why I have so many problems with this book. Um, but Matthew and Drew, since you, since this was actually Matthew's choice, and I know Drew, you read it, would you guys like to do the introduction? You'll probably do it more justice than I will. Go ahead, Drew, please. Uh, well, okay. House of M is, that's right at the beginning of Brian Bendis' run on the Avengers. I think he had been on it a little bit before he did Avengers Disassembled, which leads right into this book. Wherein, if I remember that book correctly, um, the knowledge of Wanda's twins that she had had that weren't real, um, that were lost to her, that knowledge had been taken away from her by Agatha Harkness, I believe, originally. And then she had somehow remembered, and this drove her completely insane. I'm watching John's face very closely. Indeed. Uh, Wanda goes insane, she turns on the Avengers, she kills damn near half of them, I think. Um, yeah, she kills like Hawkeye, I think Jack of Hearts dies. Yeah. Okay. Let me just jump in. Okay. Let me jump in here for a second. And that's that's not even this story. But that's this is all the preamble right. for the yeah. story we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Okay. So let me jump in here for a second. In Avengers Disassembled, yes. Supposedly Wanda learned of her children, which she already had previously. There's actually an entire mini series that is about Wanda dealing with the fact that she lost her children. There are entire storylines and plot lines about the fact that her memory was erased and then it, people told her and the memories came back to her. She dealt with it. She moved on. In Avengers Disassembled, there were three Avengers that were died and they were Scott Lang, Ant-Man. They were right. Hawkeye and the Vision. Oh, it wasn't Jack of Hearts. Jack of Hearts lived. No, through? Jack of Hearts had oh. already died. Oh, he had already died. Okay. Right, he was like a zombie, something like that. Yeah. So he, okay, yeah. So she, this happens, and then by the end of that comic, she is whisked away to Genosha by her father Magneto, 
And so when mm -hmm. we find her at the beginning of House of M, uh, she is just kind of, you know, she's like the lady in the yellow wallpaper. Like she's just kind of sitting there in her bed and she's just kind of toiling away. Traumatized. Yeah. And then uh, her brother, Quicksilver, who is also very upset about all these goings on and mutant state in the world, he approaches her and he says, you know, with, with your abilities and my contributions to be disclosed later, not really sure what those ever were, uh, we can change the world so that everybody gets what they want, including us, including mutants everywhere. So um, with a little um, finagling, Wanda is able to cast a huge spell that alters the world's history and everyone's memory so that mutants were always the dominant species on the planet. And then we kind of go from there. And every, and every Avenger had their heart's desire, including sort of. her from Wolverine being a member of shield and leading a team and not being a lone wolf, but having a place to yeah. Peter Parker, having Gwen Stacy as his wife and uncle Ben alive to Captain America allowed to grow old and have a full life in Brooklyn. Um, and what? Sorry. He walked, he walked on the moon. He did walk on the moon. That's he true. He was the first man on the moon, I believe. He was the first man on the moon. You're right. Yeah. And so that's, and, and let's also be clear, that was done in part as a reaction to the fact that Pietro had found out that the Avengers and the X-Men were meeting to determine whether or not they were going to kill her yeah, or just yes. imprison her. And Pietro decided to decide to uh, convince her to warp all of reality for this paradise, wherein the Homo superior is the dominant species. The Homo sapien is being um, prejudiced against with hate crimes and treated as second-class citizens. Um, and every hero gets basically their heart's desires. But one person being Wolverine remembers that this is all wrong and goes about trying to convince everybody else of this and then they have to try and overthrow it and yada yada and hijinks yeah um, and that is and this was one of the best-selling comics of the decade when it came out this this book started the big Marvel crossover uh, legacy that continues to this day. Every year they got a new big company-wide crossover and it starts with House of M, I think, this modern era. It starts with House of M and it kicked into the new Avengers. It, it This is part of the initiative for Marvel that made Avengers the biggest selling titles in the entire industry and actually relegated the X-Men down a notch, which had not been done for many, 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 many years in the Marvel offices. Mm -hmm. And this brought forth from this story comes Civil War, Secret Invasion, um, the next 10 to 15 years of, of, uh, of Marvel stories that we are now seeing adaptations of on the big and small screens. This is a major component of that building block by the visionary creator, Brian Michael Bendis. I put it that way, just to watch John try not to vomit as I say that. Um, so it's a very pivotal role in the history of Marvel Comics and is a very pivotal story for ill or not in the history of Wanda because Wanda at the end of this is still left in a super precarious position. And there are questions about whether or not how much of the storyline will be used 
in the MCU going forward, especially. Yeah. So that's kind of the setup of why is it important? Why is it important to note? Why is it going to be relevant uh, coming up potentially? Go ahead, John. So okay, now here's the thing. Spiel on that. I have so many problems with this book. John, you there are very, so many yeah. problems with this book. Very good. <laughs> I, I, okay. I would never want to um, be disrespectful or denigrate anyone. Um, I think it's really important to try to be as kind as possible. Drew, do you hear a butt coming? Can you hear the butt? I can smell it already. <laughs> but I uh -huh. really hated this book. Here's why. Let's, let's just start at the beginning. First of all, it runs on the premise that another writer's story didn't happen. Yeah. That Which several one? writer's stories just were like, oh, those didn't happen, which bothers me immensely. Okay. I am not one of those people who's really hung up on continuity. But once the story's out there, I think you have to respect the fact that it's out there and deal with it. It's like season, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a, of a good example. It's like season five of Charlie's Angels. Look, nobody wants to remember it. It's not a very good season, but you know what? It's out there. And Julie Rogers is an angel and we have to respect Tanya Roberts. She really did the best she could do with Julie Rogers. Drew, I'm sorry. Did, was, I, I, we need a judgment call here. Was that a good example? Uh, you know, I'm not really the person to ask as far as Charlie Angel, Charlie's Angels goes, I think. But it's it's definitely, um, I was going to compare it to this this new fad in Hollywood where they make sequels to movies that ignore the other sequels in between, like the Terminator franchise does it, the Halloween franchise just did it. And, you know, you can do that. But those, we saw those movies. Those movies happened. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, but Star does Wars anyone... does it. Sure. Well, but here's the thing. Of those Halloween movies, those Terminator movies, are those the good movies? Are those the ones you remember? Or are those the ones where you're like, oh, God, why? Generally, those are thought to be the crappier ones. So they're trying to sidestep it. At least that was especially the Halloween case where they were like, we are ignoring everything except the first movie, right? And this one, this one feels like it ignores a lot of previous history in order to tell the story that the creators want to tell yeah. at the expense of a lot that came before it. Yes. Um, Drew, yeah. did you read this as it was coming out? I sure did. This was like right when I was getting into modern comics as a little young lad. And fascinating. Did you enjoy it at the time? Uh, totally. It had, you know, it's got the Avengers. It's got the X Men. It's got beautiful art by Olivier Coipel, who had just like he'd been around for a few years. But this is like when he really popped. This is when he was one of Marvel's uh, young guns. I think they were called the young guns. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I think this was like the first time I'd ever seen his work. So I was like super smitten like right from the jump um but you know i've that was a long time ago and i've read it several times since and it's it's re it's it's very choppy wanda has no conclusion in this book like she's, none she's the central character you would you would think you're led to believe at the beginning but she has she does she does nothing and she goes nowhere by the end this book also is entirely dependent on you having read avengers disassembled like this is not a complete story 
There is no beginning to this story. There's really no end to the story. And it's, this is to your point, Drew, from earlier, this became part of the Marvel comics blueprint from there on out, wherein not only do you have to have a big major event every year, but you have to read a lot of side stories in order to get the juicy character moments. Like the main story we're talking about was eight issues. And I think there's maybe two issues worth of story in it. And all the interesting things you could be exploring with these characters are all done as mini series off to the side. There is a Spider-Man house of M an Iron Man house of M a Captain America house of M showing you what this new utopia life for them is like and how they're struggling with it. And none of that is actually in here. This is very much sort of like the, this is like a, a four way traffic light where showing you what direction you should go in, but this is actually where you are. And it's very frustrating. Okay. So let me just start with issue one where I have problems with this book. Issue one of the story or your first issue with the story. I'm going to start with issue one of the story. So the X-Men and the Avengers get together and they're like, we don't know what to do. She's so powerful. We're not really sure how to do this. And Wolverine says, well, we should just kill her. And Spider-Man's reply is something like, oh, we should just, we should just kill someone. Is that okay now? And Wolverine says, yes. And I hope that any of you would do that to me if I lost control. Okay. Wolverine by this point had killed about 2000 shield agents, murdered Northstar, tried to kill Kitty Pride, um, become a horseman of apocalypse. And I'm like, girl, step back for one quick hot second before you say something like that. Is that are you referring to the, uh, the Mark Millar story, the enemy of the state? Was that before this book? Oh, it was well before this book. Wow. What an really? Odd... I thought it was right afterwards. No, no, no. Enemy of the state. So House of M was 2005. I'm going to look up Enemy of the State right now. Um, but it was well before this book. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. But even Sorry. without Enemy of the State, your your point is well taken, right, yes. Drew? Well, I mean, like... Yeah. The point is that Wolverine had lost control many times before that and would go on to lose control many times after yeah, and they so, never killed him. They never yeah. even debated killing him. They never considered putting him down. The only people no. that considered putting him down was Nick Fury and Electra. That's really about it. Yeah. So let's just let's just start with the hypocrisy there for for a hot second. Okay. So yes, I absolutely have problems with. I absolutely have problems with that. Um, I have problems with, again, 2004. So Wolverine was the year before this. Okay, Enemy of the so, State was the year before Enemy this. of the State was the year before this. So it had already Which happened. Which is a great Wolverine story if you have not read it, dear listener. Uh, okay, we're, we're, talking Wand- we're talking WandaVision. We're talking WandaVision. Okay, so that's, that's my first problem with this story. My second problem with, with this story is that Almost none of these characters are actual characters. They're all plot points. Yes. There's no growth. There's no like, oh, hey, I have an idea. There's all of this technology for, you know, mutant inhibitor collars. 
since her she's a mutant, why don't we just put a collar on her and just be like, Wanda, relax. We got this. Take some time. Get yourself in therapy. You know, figure out what prescription and what meds are going to work for you. We're okay with this. So that that's my other huge problem with this book is that nobody's an actual character. People behave inconsistently. None of them make any sense. Wolverine just wants to kill people. Emma Frost swears and says, yeah, which is completely out of character for her. And gonna. She says gonna at one point. And I'm like, she would never use a contraction like that. Yes. That would Bother, never be what Bothers me to no end. Um, Wolverine, um, I'm sorry, Magneto is um, problematic on so many reason. levels. He's the voice of reason. the voice of reason, which is hilarious. One of the things that bothers me immensely about this book, and again, I'm going to just going to pop back to the Kurt Busiek run for a second, because a few more issues in Wanda and Quicksilver are having a discussion about Magneto. And he says, our father, and she says, he's not our father. There was the kind man who raised us. I'm going to say this, and I know uh, Brian Bendis has adopted children. That's wonderful. I am adopted. I am going to tell you as an adopted child, if my birth father showed up as an adult and expected me to call him dad, I'm like, you got another thing coming. Where were you when I was learning how to ride a bicycle? You didn't teach me how to drive a car. You didn't stay up with me when I was sick. You are not my father. And they keep, both Wanda and Quicksilver keep referring to him as dad or daddy or our father. And Magneto's like, oh, if I hadn't, you know, I was so interested in mutant superiority that I didn't raise my children. It was like, actually, your wife ran away when she was pregnant. You didn't know until they were well into their 20s. So let's not all of a sudden claim childhood issues here. That bothers me on every level. Yeah. And well, I'm I think the pattern that we're seeing here is there's a lot of ignoring of established continuity. Yes. And, and again, I don't know that it would bother me as much if it was, if the characters were consistent. Yeah. Well, and also, um, let's be very clear. It's playing on the trope of, oh, crazy women can't, you know, deal with emotional pain without oh, going nuts. We're, and we're, actually, we're actually going to get there when we talk about vision, because I have some serious Ooh. problems with that book as well. So... Well, we're going to get to that one. We're going to get to that conversation because that's how we're going to wrap this up. <laughs> that's going to be a whole, a whole other thing of conversation, a whole other plate of potatoes. Um, but yes, this I, I really want to love this book. But the only thing that this and Avengers Disassembled has done has meant that I haven't been able to read a Wanda characterization in the last fifteen years that hasn't had to do with her trying to redeem herself for this storyline, which completely ignores everything else that has come before it. I think it's very fair. This, this has become for much worse, there is no better. This has become the defining moment in the history of Wanda Maximoff. There is nothing that came before it that is of any consequence before this happened because of it. And nothing has happened since that doesn't immediately refer back to her uttering the phrase, no more mutants, because that is actually the end of the story. Spoilers, which is 
freaking insane to me. Um, I'm well, and the but reason my, that they... My biggest problem is not even about continuity because I don't care about continuity. Can I follow the story? Is it a complete story? Do the characters act consistently within the story? None of that happens here in any way, shape, or form. This is a horribly structured, terribly executed piece of fiction in every way, shape, and form. I'm not even speaking about continuity because I'm not steeped in it. I'm not a Marvel kid. I don't care, which is why I can enjoy some of the vision. But this is absolutely a an abomination to storytelling as an art form. And to your other point, Klein, about how this book became such a, uh, just like the seminal moment in uh, Wanda Maximoff's character history to this day, that is still true despite the fact that it was actively retconned in yep. uh, the Young Avengers Children's Crusade as not being her fault. Yes. Yeah, but nobody read that. That's the problem. Well, that was actually a fairly popular book, but I want to move into Vision um, because we we have some time to discuss this. Yeah. Um, and Drew, since this was your, um, since this was the one that you recommended, would you like to introduce this one? I would like to, but I had to introduce Klein's book, so I think he should introduce mine. Okay. So the basic setup is that Vision, um, creates his own family um, out of parts of himself on some level, um, creates an android synthesoid family uh, to live with and to understand what family is, to understand what family was in part out of regret over his past history with Wanda and their children, his insecurity as a former husband and father not understanding what those roles really mean, thinking he did it wrong, wanting second chances. Meanwhile, by day, he is working at, you know, DC at the US government as kind of a liaison. Um, and what you, you see is what becomes a sort of Hitchcockian horror story. Um, not so much a vision, but of his family who never asked to be existed and are kind of left unattended as they have to understand what humanity is and one terrible thing after the other escalates these situations yeah um that's sort of how the the setup for for this story yeah it's a it's a suburban horror story yes um and so drew tell us a little bit about why you love this book um, I just, you know, I read this as it was coming out month to month, and I remember liking it. And now upon this pre-read, I do think it's pretty good, pretty interesting. Because like you say, Matt, uh, it's just, you know, it's all about family and it's about um, family life and our idealized expectation of what family life is going to be um, and how, uh, how often that is not the case. Because, uh, you know, life gets in the way and shit happens. Uh, and it and shit happens very quickly in this book. I think it's issue one that that things just go terribly, terribly wrong. Um, and it's um, yeah, I don't know. I'm always interested to see a um, an artificial life form, a robot trying to occupy human space and trying to replicate human behavior and fail 
that's what makes it interesting is they all kind of fail pretty spectacularly. They do. And there's so much about the, what, one of the things that the, the universal themes that I, I enjoy about the story is that um, it is so much out of born out of arrogance for the vision you know, this, this idea that he has, and, and you could argue it's naivete. Um, But I think he's a little, uh, sorry to interrupt a little character history. I think this was right off the back of, uh, um, they had in the comics, they had the vision delete his, his like emotional memory banks. Yeah. More cold and logical and robotic, which I suspect was in preparation for this book specifically. And and it's one of those things where he's he's trying to rediscover these these human aspects, but he does so in such a cold, um, manipulative way that he doesn't understand is going to be problematic. He's he's treating family as an experiment in many ways, which is terrifying, absolutely terrifying, and not what you would consider becoming of a quote unquote hero you know, of an Avenger. And there's, there's a fascinating juxtaposition here. And I do want to call out as well, you know, this is written by Tom King, who at the time was not a big deal and has gone on to become one of the most acclaimed uh, writers in comics with several runs on Batman, uh, Mr. Miracle. Uh, currently he's working on Strange Adventures, exploring Adam Strange. He did the very well-regarded Sheriff of Babylon series, which drew on his time as a CIA agent. Um, so he's he's very fascinated by uh, Grayson, uh, as a great spy book that he was brought in to do um, at DC. So he is very fascinated by the psychology of, of things that on the surface look one level and then underneath there is a lot of complexity going on. He's a very psychologically- I think for me, the the thing that's fascinating about this book is the fact that in order to replicate humanity, he tries to replicate human experience, which is not universal, instead of talking about human emotion, which is, um, you know, every human being in the world, no matter whether you live city, country, young, old, race, religion, gender identity, sexual orientation, everybody's fallen in love, everybody's had their heart broken, but not that everybody's lived in the suburbs. And sort of that's what he's trying to do, which I find fascinating because kind of, I feel like this is where they pulled the WandaVision series sort of beginning. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, But here's the thing, here's the longer conversation. And this is where I wanna circle back to something that Matthew touched on um, in, Uh, the House of M discussion, which is in this book, Vision does nothing more than Wanda does in Avengers Disassembled in House of M. And yet she has, as a character, spent 15 years trying to be redeemed. And nobody even remembers the fact that Quicksilver, like Quicksilver is the one who really was behind what happened in House of M he spent one night in jail and then decided he wanted to be a hero again. And everybody's like, okay. And Vision (laughs) kills a dog, saws out its brain, um, doesn't go to check on the explosion next door that his son caused. 
takes talks about the um, the brother, uh, you know, the other creation of Ultron in this, yet refuses to talk to Billy or Tommy, Wiccan and Speed, his actual children, refuses to acknowledge them. And while I think it's really important, and especially this time, especially given 2020 and everything that everyone has gone through, I think it's really important to take something like comics, like graphic novels, and discuss trauma, discuss mental illness. But why is it that women are always punished for trauma and men are always, men always come out on the other side stronger? Why does this happen continuously? Because it is a result of thousands of years of demonizing women. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's sadly much to the detriment of society, even incidents today that I can think of, literally that I personally and John, you and I both have been on the periphery of today with very strong, independent, intelligent women in our life, um, still be, is being suffered through. And not just in fiction, but very much in real life. And sadly, comics as an art form has been very behind the curve in its representation of mental illness, very behind the curve in how it treats female characters, LGBTQ characters, characters with mental illness. It has been woefully behind. And in fact, in attempts to quote unquote, bring the issues to light, often stigmatize it and make it worse. And because the megaphone is so loud from the larger publishers like Marvel and DC, who people most associate with comics and who bungle it the worst, as opposed to books like Fun Home by Alison Bechdel or, or others that take years to get a fan following and mainstream appeal, um, that it ends up perpetuating things very worse. And look at who's in the position of power of the creative brain trust when these stories are being written. And you see some of the implicit bias um, within that storytelling. And it's now, cultural, it's societal, and it's historical. And it's terrible. But there is, you can track the why, you can track the how, is what I'm saying. So here's, but here, so here's a question. And Drew, sure. you don't have to answer this, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but am I being too sensitive? Do I you see where I'm coming from, or am I just wrong? Well, speaking of, you just said who's in power. It's, it's kind of the Brian Bendis thing. We were just talking about House of M, and you, John, said that it's like none of these characters actually feel like characters. They're kind of just there. They're kind of just these, uh, yeah, they're just these vessels that are there to spit out one-liners that kind of sound like you would think that character would sound like. What, like, what does Wolverine say? Well, Wolverine kills people, so Wolverine just wants to kill her. So it's, it's, it's kind of, it feels like that approach. It's like, well, well, Wanda's a woman, and what do women want? They want to have babies, and if they can't have babies, they go crazy, right? So it's kind of just this lazy, uh, you know, stereotypical approach to make it, I, I don't know, to make it 
simpler, I guess, is, is the attempt or just, just to make it dramatic at, at the expense of uh, realism or any kind of uh, like genuine exploration into how people react to things and, and go through emotions and, and explore trauma. Uh, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just lazy and attack. Is What's terrible is it's it comes from the, and, and I was watching Age of Ultron the other day because Lauren and I are going through a complete Marvel rewatch right now. Like we're, we're watching even the TV shows. And Age of Ultron, do you understand that Black Widow in that film, because this is recent, this is not something that's going away is the point I'm making. Black Widow in that film from 2015 thinks she's a monster because she was forcibly sterilized um, when she was a child, graduating from her thing. And her biggest, you know, that is why she considers herself as much of a monster as Ultron and the rest of the team's demons is because she was forcibly sterilized. And that's her big issue. And it's like, are you kidding me? Uh, it's, it's, it's such a, and the reason that storytellers do it is because that is a convention that they believe works because it's what's the basic motivation for women to have babies. Of course. And it's, and that's not true, but you have decades, decades of the practice being done in entertainment that propagates this shit. And it so is. I, I, I don't, I, I do want to sort of get us kind of wrapped up. Um, sure. And I, I want to say, um, so I have been enjoying WandaVision. It has been difficult for me to watch everyone um, on social media. And when I say on social media, the only social media I'm on is Twitter and I check maybe once a month, but um, people send me tweets that they're like, oh, you're, you're gonna wanna see this. So it has been very um, angsting for me to see people sort of, um, I don't know if celebrate is the right word, but sort of go, oh, it's all Wanda's fault. Wanda's gonna go evil. Wanda's gonna be the next big bad. I'm hoping that it wraps up with a really fascinating discussion of trauma, of grief. Um, and I like the fact that they brought in Monica Rambo as a counterpoint, who in the last episode, spoiler alert, you know, was like, I've already been through the worst thing that could happen to me. Don't let them make you the villain. And Wanda's like, well, what if I already am? Um, beautifully acted, by the way, by Elizabeth Olsen. Um, I love the way that she did that because it was full of uncertainty and fear and and also a thing. Um, so anyway, I just want us to kind of uh, wrap up here with, yeah, these are our, our WandaVision recommendations. Um, I'm not recommending House of M. Don't read House of M because you're looking for a good story. I refuse to book. recommend that book. Okay. So these are our WandaVision kind of history. Um, Drew, did either of these want to make you go back? Uh, any of the books that you read make you want to go back and read more um, in the past WandaVision story? Uh, yeah, definitely. But I, I would say it's the books that we've been talking about, but also just WandaVision itself is like a really good example of why those two characters work so well together. They're so wildly different as characters. But uh, but yeah, I think I'm definitely going to go back and read at least that basic stuff for sure. Yeah, I have some other stories for you as well. Um, I also have a list of things you should absolutely avoid. Um, Matthew, how about you? I know that you're not, I know that you're more of an old school DC guy, but do you think you might want to go back and read 
read some more history of Wanda and Vision? I would love to read it. I know there was the the mini series, um, Scarlet Witch and the Vision. I'd love to read more of that. I have there were two. Only, there were two, right? Okay. There were so two. So I would I would absolutely go back and read more stories about these characters in particular. Um, I and I will strongly, you know, to Drew's recommendation, I will strongly recommend the Vision as a complete story in an, as a microcosm story in and of itself. Um, I think it's very, very well executed. So I will absolutely recommend that to, to anyone that hasn't read it yet, especially if you love uh, a tremendous, you know, suburban horror story that asks very, very, very large uh, questions. Um, but please don't read House of M unless you are doing it for the sheer sake of you want to say you've read it and experience it firsthand as a completionist. I get it, but do not read that if you're just looking for a good story. Yeah, and I would recommend, because I, I had not read Vision, and I forcibly was forced to read House of Adam this time. Um, but I would say I found Vision um, really fascinating. Um, I tried sort of to not think of it as Vision um, and just read it on its own merits, which it's really, really wonderfully done. But I did try to sort of not get too far into it because it started making me angry again about how tragic male characters are treated versus how tragic female characters are created. Um, I would yes. recommend the Kurt Busiek, George Perez Avengers run. I think it's really, really well done. It's very old school, but if you've only been reading modern comics, I think it's a fascinating way to kind of go back and take a look at how um, some writers can, can meld sort of the old fashioned, the old and the new all together. Um, so anyway, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Comics Corner. Um, do follow us on all our social media uh, at The Cruelest Month. Um, we are launching new episodes the first weekend of April. Um, by then WandaVision will have wrapped up. You'll have been able to watch it several times over and you will of course want to catch up on the podcast instead talk about some tragic stories we got a lot going on in there for that this first season coming up we hope you enjoy it um but in the meantime thank you again for joining us um do feel free to let us know on social media your favorite wanda vision stories and um yeah and recommend some sense. reads too like tell us what you think we should be reading yeah, someday, absolutely. someday we should do a, a fan dictated episode, John, where the fans tell us what to read and Drew, you come back and we can we can go over what we were told should be. The I, suggested reading. I would love to have an episode where Drew recommends something for me because Drew and I have very different tastes, but I trust Drew. So I trust Drew to tell me something that I haven't read before that I'm going to love. Drew, you want to do, do that? Well. I'll make you regret that, John. Just <laughs> but only in the best way possible. So anyway, thank you so much for joining us on this special episode. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we'll see you at the beginning of April, the cruelest month. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of John's Comic Corner. You can find us on all social media at the cruelest month podcast. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Thanks for listening.